0: Welcome to the Nutrition Unpeeled podcast, a place where hungry minds discuss all things evidence-based nutrition, fitness, mindset, and healthy living. We're your hosts, registered dietitian and nutritionists, Courtney, Darian, and Hannah. Let's dive in. The information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only, so always speak to a healthcare provider such as a registered dietitian who can work with you directly about your unique healthcare needs. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Nutrition Unpeeled podcast. Today, we're talking all about pregnancy, nutrition needs, and other considerations. Um, But before we jump in, we're going to share the best thing we ate this week. So Darian, I'm going to throw you to the fire first. (laughs) Oh, the best thing I ate this week. Actually, um, a friend of mine dropped off a few loaves of her homemade bread and strawberry jam, and it was just so good. Like, I don't think anything can beat homemade bread. (laughs) Yeah, I tried a slice. I thought it was probably the best bread I'd ever eaten. So, yeah, I agree.
1: Hannah, what's the best thing you ate? Um, I'm going to have to do two things. Both I ate yesterday, so I made a charcuterie board for the first time. So I went to Bulk Cheese Warehouse, got lots of nice stuff, Um, so that was really awesome. And then I also made pumpkin cookies with cream cheese frosting over the weekend oh, and wow. they're really good so maybe um, recipe coming say, soon yeah left put those yeah. on the blog kind <laughs> of
0: has a few recipes on the blog confetti cookies um ginger snaps and then a couple other breakfast recipes mm-hmm. but the confetti cookies are good so mm-hmm. yeah we'll have to do a follow-up with the pumpkin cookies totally what about um, you court mine is probably homemade fresh rolls or cold rolls, summer rolls. I feel like they have many different names, but yeah, I like making them homemade, and we made them over the weekend with a few different peanut sauce variations, one with hoisin sauce, and then I always make one that's more like lime and honey and soy sauce, so it was nice to have two options. It was really good. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Prenatal nutrition can be confusing. There is a lot of advice about what to eat and what not to eat to start your baby off with the nutrition needed to develop optimally. Furthermore, many expecting mothers experience challenging symptoms like morning sickness and fatigue. So in this podcast, we are going to cover key nutrients to consider during pregnancy and how to source them through food, which foods, beverages, supplements to avoid to ensure a safe pregnancy, and how to use nutrition to overcome symptoms such as morning sickness, heartburn, constipation, and more. Let's kick
0: it off with some key nutrients to consider um, through pregnancy. So the first one would be your total energy or calories. Consuming enough energy or calories is one of the most crucial nutrition considerations during pregnancy, just to ensure that mom and baby have the resources they need to grow optimally and develop. So there are different calorie recommendations for mothers to follow. So for example, in the first trimester, the calorie needs actually stay the same as pre-pregnancy. But once second trimester hits, your calorie needs will increase by about 340 calories. And into the third trimester, they bump up to an additional 450 calories. Yeah, Hannah and I had a little discussion about this in the first trimester. I think it's really interesting that they say that calorie needs don't increase. In my experience working with moms, it's not necessarily that they find themselves hungrier, but oftentimes they're using nutrition to manage different symptoms. So they're eating more regularly, which we'll talk about later in the podcast. So I would never tell an expecting mom, like, don't eat anymore. Your calorie needs aren't increasing. If you're hungrier, you might need to eat more. And I kind of find it like hard. I've never been pregnant, so we'll see. Um, But yeah, Hannah, do you have
1: any thoughts on that? No, I I know I was thinking about our conversation too it's just so funny I'm like how how is that bo- like the body is just a mystery even after taking like over 7 years of university around like body systems it's like you're growing something. How <laughs> hard is you, how do you not need more for the first three months? But, yeah. yeah. But anyways, the theme is mm-hmm. as you move
0: through pregnancy, your calorie needs will increase. And actually, just a side note, if you choose to breastfeed, your calorie needs further increase in what's called the fourth trimester. Um, but we won't delve into that in this podcast.
1: So I think that even though Darian shared, you know, the calorie recommendations for increasing in second and third trimester, it's also really helpful to kind of put that into practice because a lot of people don't necessarily track or need to track nutrition at all or calories. So Darian, what's like an example of that kind of around 340 calories that you might need to add in the second trimester? Yeah, that's a great
0: question. So um, an example could be a serving of Greek yogurt, maybe you throw some berries and granola on top. Or if you're looking for a little bit more of a savory option, you could have a piece of fruit like an apple, but add some cheese and a hard boiled egg alongside it.
1: Yeah, totally. I love those options. And then what about for the third trimester? I'll throw it over to you, Courtney. Yeah, well, you could, I
0: mean, you could just add more nutrition or larger servings to any meals, but you could also boost those snacks a little bit more. So Darian had mentioned Greek yogurt with berries and granola. Maybe you also throw a handful of nuts or seeds, boost up the the calories, add some fats. Um, and then with the apple with cheese and a hard-boiled egg, maybe you're throwing some whole grain crackers to go along with it and you're just giving it that extra boost. Yeah. Totally. I love those. And so while these calorie recommendations may be helpful for some, um, we do find the application might not be helpful for all moms. Instead, we tend to guide moms towards additions to meals or snacks, like Courtney said, just to boost their nutrition so they feel they can develop an eating pattern that also supports them during pregnancy. So, some principles or patterns moms might adopt is to eat regularly. So, eating about every two to three hours. We'll talk about more about this when it comes to managing symptoms later on in the podcast, but eating regularly can just help us uh, meet our calorie needs throughout the day. And that can look like eating small meals, but then also adding snacks if needed. So that's another principle to adopt is some extra snacks in the day. Uh, We can still focus on balancing meals, which is something we talk about all the time in this podcast. So building meals around carbs, fats, and proteins to get those different energy sources in. And then lastly, uh, we do encourage moms to listen to their body cues. So again, like Hannah said, rather than tracking calories, which likely isn't necessary for most moms, we can instead focus on those hunger and fullness cues and eating regularly throughout the day. Sometimes, you know, with food aversions and nausea, hunger cues can be blunted. So there are some cases where we really need to figure out how we can eat regularly in the absence of hunger cues. So that is something to consider for a lot of moms, especially in the first trimester, when some of those symptoms like um, morning sickness or nausea can be a little bit more prevalent. Totally.
1: And I think like an important thing to... To say here too is, you know, all these things that we're talking about as far as the energy requirements and kind of tips of how to get adequate nourishment in is actually not that different than what we'd recommend for anyone pregnant or not. And so I think, you know, talking to a lot of moms, first time moms, especially, it can be very overwhelming of, am I doing what I need to for my body and my baby? And it's like, yes, of course, like we'll help you and assist you through it. But also, it does come back to a lot of the basics of nutrition too.
0: Another way that your healthcare team will assess if you're meeting
1: your energy requirements is actually by monitoring your weight gain throughout your pregnancy. Totally. So there are clinical guidelines for weight gain through pregnancy that are associated with the best health outcomes, which you can find on our website in the blog post and also on a things like Health Canada. Um, However, we do recommend that you have a close discussion with your doctor to determine whether sharing the results of your weight gain would be supportive mentally and emotionally. And so bodies change a lot during pregnancy, and this can be a very hard thing and a foreign thing even for women. Um, And so it can be very emotionally charged. And if knowing your weight or the changes in your weight would affect your ability to make nourishing choices, um then it is completely okay. And you can ask your doctor to not share that with you and just kind of give you feedback of, yeah, we're on the right path or maybe we need to tweak a few things.
0: Our next nutrient to consider is protein. So
1: protein requirements
0: do increase throughout pregnancy to support the growth of both mom and baby's tissues. Um, But I will say the recommended daily protein intake is actually pretty easy to meet. So if you're eating regular meals, building protein into meals and snacks, you probably will like definitely hit your protein target. Um, Just as a reference, the protein recommendation is 1.1 grams per kilo of protein if we're using that based on your body weight. Of course, though, if you are still doing things like strength training through pregnancy, you might have protein needs above and beyond that to support muscle growth and and the maintenance of muscle tissue. But overall, it's pretty manageable to meet our protein requirements, but we do still want to think about building protein into meals and snacks. And we will talk about this a little bit later in the podcast, but I will say a common food aversion for a lot of moms, at least in my experience, has been meat. So sometimes we have to consider, okay, where can we source protein from foods that you're enjoying? And so, that might be one thing that comes up is just like the aversion to protein foods that might make it more difficult to meet
1: protein requirements. What do you guys think about protein powder during pregnancy?
0: Yeah, I mean, many people enjoy using protein powders and bars as a source in their day. And while they might not be necessary to meet your total needs during pregnancy, it might be something that they enjoy using and found they can tolerate quite well. There aren't any dangers to the isolated forms of protein like whey isolate or plant-based protein powders, but the supplement industry is not regulated by Health Canada, so it isn't often clear or maybe reliable that what is in the supplement is safe during pregnancy. Unlike choosing whole food sources of protein, protein powders can contain trace amounts or have cross-contamination of heavy metals or stimulants or herbs that are unsafe for expecting moms. So this is kind of why we recommend checking with your dietitian or physician regarding any protein powder shakes or bars that you maybe plan on using just to ensure they're safe for you to consume. So the bottom line here is build protein-rich foods into meals and snacks, and if you need ideas, you can go to the blog post that accompanies this podcast episode, um, and we've highlighted some specific high-protein foods that you could look at enjoying throughout pregnancy or really anytime. The next nutrient that we'll discuss is folate. So one of the micronutrients. So folate is sometimes called folic acid, which is the synthetic form of folate that they add to a supplement. It also is called B9. All the B vitamins get two names, which is kind of interesting and confusing, but we'll mostly call it folate or folic acid here. So folate is really important because it is involved in the development of the neural tube, so the brain and spinal cord. Um, And the neural tube actually forms around the 17th to 30th day after conception. So, you know, sometimes this neural tube's forming before mom even knows she's pregnant. So for this reason, it's really important that um, any um, women of childbearing age are eating enough folate or even supplementing with folic acid from a prenatal supplement. So the recommendation is to supplement with at least 400 micrograms grams of folic acid each day to prevent birth defects um, known as neural tube defects. So as I mentioned, folate is the natural form of the vitamin that we'll find in things like dark green vegetables, citrus fruits, peanuts, beans and lentils, whole grains, seafood, and even liver. And then folic acid is the synthetic form, which is found in supplements and actually fortified into white flour in Canada. So we'll find it in any food with white flour, um, like cereals or baked goods, or if you're preparing foods with white flour at home. So Health Canada requires this mandatory fortification um, for the preventative measure Um, for neural tube defects just to help make sure that moms are getting enough.
1: I found that so interesting when we were learning about it in school that Health Canada like changed the fortifications so like to prevent it and it's insane how much it's decreased neural tube defects it's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. A
0: little bit of an insurance policy on folic acid Um, but of course even though you might be getting enough through diet Mm -hmm. it is recommended to take that supplement so if you are looking at a prenatal supplement it probably will contain at least 400 micrograms of folic acid Um, but just do that double check to make sure you're getting enough and then still focus on uh, food sources when I think folate I always think of the green leafy vegetables but as mentioned there are some other sources as well and you can tune into the blog post for that complete list. The next nutrient is iron. So our body uses iron to make hemoglobin and this is a protein in our red blood cells that help carry oxygen to our body's tissues. During pregnancy, you need double the amount of iron that non-pregnant women need, and this is just because you have more blood to supply more oxygen to your baby now. Yeah, and we actually did an entire podcast episode on iron and how to source enough iron through the diet and optimize absorption. So if you're interested in learning more about iron, uh, we recommend you go back to that podcast, especially if you're looking to get pregnant or you are pregnant. I think understanding iron is really important because it will be important for you as a mom, but it will also be important when you start introducing solids to your baby at four to six months. So um, to kind of follow up on what you shared, Darian, um, mom passes on their iron store to baby and then baby isn't ingesting any iron from four to six months they're just uh, drinking breast milk which doesn't have any iron so at about six months their iron stores run out so it's really important when we're introducing solids that those foods are iron rich so learning about iron rich food sources and how to enhance iron absorption is really important at this stage of the life cycle.
1: And also, just as a side note, which your healthcare providers will talk to you about, the iron is actually only transferred to baby at the very last few weeks of pregnancy. And so this is why um, a lot of premature babies will actually have to be supplemented from birth um, because those stores aren't passed on until close to the end. So what is the recommendation while you're pregnant for iron? So the recommendation
0: is obtaining 27 milligrams a day. And this could come from iron rich food like beef, poultry, gamey meat, eggs, and even some plant based sources like beans, lentils, nuts, and seeds, dark leafy greens. Um, But as we will, you'll maybe find in the iron podcast, there's different absorption techniques and things that can enhance some of those plant based iron sources as well. Um, But often, just your uh, prenatal supplement is recommended. And typically, those contain around 16 to 20 milligrams of iron, um, which is really important just to top up if you aren't getting enough through f- whole food sources.
1: Yeah. And I think too important to say that's special to a prenatal. Mm-hmm. Multivitamins yeah. aren't going to have that. So we they're not, you know, exchangeable. We definitely want a good quality prenatal. All right, next
0: up, we're talking about omega-3s. So omega-3 fatty acids play a critical role in optimal health and requirements are thought to increase during pregnancy. And this is because one of the fatty acids, DHA, is abundant in the brain. Um, So it's really key for the development of the brain, but also eye development and nervous system development. And it's also thought to prevent preterm labor, ensure a healthy birth weight, and even support um, mom's mood during the postpartum period. So a lot of benefits, to um, ingesting adequate amounts of these omega-3 fatty acids. The richest sources of these omega-3 fatty acids are marine sources like seafood and algae. Um, We can also get it from supplements like fish oil or algae supplements. And so this is where the recommendation for pregnant women to consume two servings of fish per week comes into play. So two servings of fish per week helps us get the omega-3, specifically the DHA, that we need. Um, I will say, though, sometimes when they say, like, eat two servings of fish, I don't love this recommendation because it's not actually steering women towards omega-3 rich fish. So the omega-3 rich fish will be things like salmon or trout, and then also like herring, sardines, mackerel, oysters. Um, Those would be the top ones. And then we get little bits from the other fish, like the white fish or the shrimp. Um, So, you know, in Saskatchewan, mostly I feel like people are eating salmon, maybe trout, Maybe sardines or herring, if you yeah. love it, yeah. But we—it does need to be the omega-three rich ones. And so, if you aren't sourcing um, those fish, that's where you might look at an omega-three fatty acid supplement. And sometimes that DHA will come in the prenatal. Um, we want at least two hundred milligrams of DHA, but you could add a separate omega-three supplement. Of course, one that has been approved with your dietitian or a doctor um, to support you and make sure you're getting those omega-threes in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, what about plant based sources of this omega 3? Yeah, so you'll hear a lot about plant based sources of omega 3, so things like canola oil, flaxseed, walnuts, chia seeds. And these are great fats to include, like Include them in your diet, but don't include them as a reliable source of omega-3 fatty acids because they're not efficiently converted to the active forms of EPA and DHA, which is what we're looking for here. So bottom line is don't rely on those plant-based sources for your omega-3s. If you do want a plant-based form, you'll want to do an LJ supplement that has the EPA and DHA. That's what we're looking for. I know a really common question during pregnancy is the mercury content of fish. Do you have anything to add about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so mercury can be found in some fish sources, especially the predatory fish. So when they're eating other fish, um, that mercury is building up in the body. Um, so fish like shark, um, orange roughy, swordfish, and ahi or albacore tuna, or the fish of concern. And that mercury can be toxic to humans and the developing fetus. It can cross through the placenta. So we want to be mindful For pregnant women, not to have those high mercury fish really at all. And then, you know, for other people as well, they want to limit it to no more than two servings per week. I will say sometimes it gets confusing with the tuna because the ahi or albacore tuna is high in mercury. But if you're looking at different canned tunas, the light tuna or skipjack tuna is low in mercury. So you don't have to completely eliminate tuna. It's just that um, certain type of tuna. So the bottom line is that pregnant women require omega-3 fatty acids, which can be obtained by having two servings of an omega-3 rich fish per week or by supplementing with an omega-3 fish oil that has at least 200 milligrams of DHA. And you can also look for that EPA as well.
1: The last main micronutrient we want to bring attention to is choline. So choline is a nutrient that is starting to get more... Recognition um, as something that is very critical for pregnant moms because it has a role in brain development and gene expression. And we kind of know now that most people don't even get enough choline in their day, um, but the needs from um, moms are actually a little bit higher. So, although the body can produce some choline on its own, it's not going to make enough to meet all of our needs. And therefore, some prenatal supplements will contain choline, but some actually don't. And so we talk to women more about getting it through food. And the good news is one of the best food sources of choline is actually eggs. Um, So oftentimes I'll talk to moms if we can add a couple eggs into the day, incorporate it into a snack or into their breakfast. um, That is A great way to ensure that they're getting their choline needs. But there are also a few other food sources like liver, beef, cod, soy products, potatoes, beans, and even milk will have some choline in it too. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I'll follow up with two things based on what Hannah said. One is that it's the whole egg and that Mm -hmm. yolk. And sometimes we'll recommend clients use egg whites as like a tool to boost their protein. But when it comes to choline, we want that whole egg, we want the yolk. So that's something to consider. And then in a few of our sources even for iron but choline we've said liver which is a great source of these nutrients but it's also very high in vitamin a so that if you are someone eating liver regularly we do want to consider how much you're getting in the week and just limit that it's a very nutritious food but because it's so high in vitamin a we don't want to get too much of that vitamin either So the key nutrients of consideration that we explored were our total energy intake, protein, folate, iron, omega-3, and choline. And these are the nutrients that increase during pregnancy. But there are other nutrients that are still very important that we want to think about, things like vitamin D, calcium, B vitamins, and electrolytes for hydration like sodium and potassium. So we still need to meet those other nutrition needs while pregnant, which we typically can do through whole foods and that support of a prenatal, and then paying a little more close attention to the nutrients that we explored.
1: So on to the second part of this podcast, which is where we're going to talk about what to limit while pregnant or what to avoid totally.
0: Yeah, I feel like as dietitians, we're always focusing on like this mindset concept of what to add to our diet. But in this case, there are some key things that we really want to take careful consideration of completely eliminating or um, decreasing our consumption of.
1: Yeah, so baby, to start off with a heavy hitter, Darian, I'm going to throw you uh, caffeine. What is is the recommendation around caffeine? Oh, my kryptonite. (laughs) Um, With caffeine,
0: a reduction or elimination of caffeine can be important. And that's because caffeine's metabolic rate in the mothers is significantly decreased, especially after the first trimester. So it can actually cross the placenta to the baby and the fetus does not have the enzymes needed to metabolize caffeine. So therefore, there could be risks to growth and development of the baby. The research regarding safe levels of caffeine consumption is a little bit conflicting. So for example, Health Canada recommends that pregnant women consume more than no more than 300 milligrams of caffeine per day. And then other authorities recommend no more than 200 milligrams per day. And then when you dig into the research, some researchers say, you know what, maybe it's best to just not have any caffeine at all. So we did include a few links to different research articles. And so you could explore that if you are interested in learning more about caffeine and recommended restrictions. But we go by Health Canada's recommendation of no more than 300 milligrams per day. And we have not have some examples of what that could look like in terms of different beverages or food. So you do want to be aware of where caffeine is coming from. And so you're tracking your entire caffeine consumption. So knowing it can come from our coffee and coffee drinks and different brewing styles or sizes will have different amounts of caffeine. But then we can also get it from black teas, chocolate, and then some of the energy drinks or pre-workouts have a lot. So those are probably ones Well, for other reasons as well, definitely we're going to eliminate those and then just being mindful of how it's adding up across the day, looking to keep it to 300 milligrams or less. And then, of course, there might be a personal choice. Maybe you want to limit it even further.
1: One beverage that most authorities do agree upon as far as recommendations would be alcohol. So there is no known safe amount for moms to consume while pregnant for baby. And therefore, our recommendation and almost every recommendation is do not drink at all during pregnancy if possible.
0: All right, next up is foods at a high risk of foodborne illness. So this is where a lot of the restrictions come in when it um, comes to foods throughout pregnancy, when you hear of, like, you can't consume deli meats or, you know, no sushi, Uh, this is The reason why is some foods are at a high risk of foodborne illness and certain bacteria like listeria can cross through the placenta and baby does not have the immune system to fight that if they get infected. So it's really important that we're following safe food handling practices and also um, avoiding foods that are at a high risk of a foodborne illness. We have a chart on our blog that lists the foods of concern that you want to limit, um, but even some tips to get around it. So for example, I've had mom say, oh, I'm really craving like a good sandwich with like some deli turkey meat. And any of the deli mit- meats are at a high risk of foodborne illness. But if you cook them and heat them, then they're safe. So if you heat your deli meat till it's steaming hot and then you're using it to prepare, I don't know, like maybe you're making a yummy grilled cheese sandwich with some deli turkey, then it's safe. Um, same with... With, for example, unpasteurized foods, so like say you bought some unpasteurized apple cider, you could um, boil it to a rolling boil and then it will be safe to consume. Mm-hmm. Other common ones that people don't know about are raw sprouts, so bean sprouts that are at a really high risk of foodborne illnesses. So those are ones that we'd want to eliminate or if you're cooking them somehow, then they could be safe. I know the one I'd have the most trouble with would be sushi. I love sashimi and like my raw salmons and uh, tuna, but I mean, that would be a higher risk. So you could always get cooked sushi rolls as well, like shrimp or vegetarian rolls um, to get around that and still enjoy sushi through your
1: pregnancy. So, Courtney, you mentioned that you'd be missing sushi maybe, but I'm curious about cheese. Some of the soft cheeses actually are a higher risk. So the
0: yummy ones like brie and camembert, but the hard cheeses will be okay. And so um, as well as some of the other um, cheeses made from pasteurized milk. um, So it's those soft cheeses that we maybe want to look at limiting. So you can head over to the blog for a complete list of foods to be aware of. And then we've also linked a safe food handling guide made by Health Canada. And it's really great if you've never taken a food safe course, taking a read through for safe food handling is a really good idea to keep you safe and protected from foodborne illnesses.
1: One area that I find pretty interesting is herbal teas. So, Darian, do you want to dive into what's the situation with herbal teas in pregnancy? Yeah. Drinking uh, certain herbal teas, which
0: include chamomile, might not be safe for baby. And that's just because it's been used to stimulate uterine contractions in pregnant women, which could potentially lead to higher incidence of preterm labor. For now, we don't know if chamomile tea could cause contractions at any point in pregnancy. We just can't conduct studies in pregnant women for ethical reasons. So for now, we just say to not have chamomile tea during pregnancy to be on the safe side. So there are a few others to avoid, like aloe, buckthorn bark, stinging nettle, and senna leaves, and a few others. So we've listed the complete list on the blog post. And then there still are some that are safe, like citrus peel, ginger, orange peel, and rosehip. Our last consideration um, to limit or avoid would be supplements. So of course, we did recommend a supplement in the form of a prenatal supplement and maybe even a vitamin D supplement if we need to top you up that way, especially in the winter months here in Canada. Um, But aside from that, we wanna be very careful around supplements. And that's because supplements aren't regulated by Health Canada in the same way that food products are. So we just don't always know that what they say is in the supplement is actually in the supplement. And there could be other contaminants that aren't safe during pregnancy. So earlier in the podcast, we talked about how some women, you know, might enjoy using a protein powder or protein bars, um, but we want to be very careful about the sourcing to make sure these products are pure. And so for the most part, like a general recommendation would be just to not have supplements, just stick with your prenatal. And like I said, maybe vitamin D if you need it, and then try to get most of your nutrition from whole foods. Mm -hmm. In this final section of the podcast, we want to talk about some special considerations around many of the symptoms that pregnant women experience, like nausea and vomiting, heartburn, constipation, fatigue, and food aversions. So some of these symptoms are inevitable. They happen, but there's actually quite a lot we can do in terms of nutrition strategies to manage it. One of the first um, challenges that quite a few moms experience is morning sickness, which is really just a word for nausea or vomiting, which doesn't just happen in the morning. It can happen any time of day. It mostly happens in the first trimester when there's a a peak or a surge in a a specific hormone called HCG, um, which eventually kind of like peters off through the rest of the the pregnancy. So most moms find that after the first trimester, they're not so nauseous. But again, it can linger throughout pregnancy. Um, But there are actually some very effective nutrition strategies we can use to either relieve or reduce these feelings of nausea or vomiting. One would be to eat immediately upon waking. Our blood sugars are more vulnerable during pregnancy due to an increased need for glucose for the developing baby and changes to hormones. So a low blood sugar can cause or even exasperate this nausea. And many women find it supportive to just have a small carb-based snack immediately upon waking. Um, That could be like crackers, dried fruit, or even a piece of toast, and then build a more balanced mix of the food groups later on.
1: I'll often suggest for moms even to have like some crackers or that dried fruit like on their bedside table and literally like first thing in the morning have that to prevent that blood sugar dip.
0: And on that note, supporting blood sugars all throughout the day. So we're eating a mix of food groups to keep blood sugars more stable. But then, of course, I'd even say have those little carb snacks with you throughout the day because, again, when blood sugars drop, it's going to make nausea feel so much worse or be a trigger. So we want to keep them stable or have those treatments at hand if we need
1: Yeah. So one way to kind of do this is, of course, we talked about the importance of eating regularly, but some women will find that actually eating kind of that frequent small meal structure throughout the day can really help, especially when they actually don't have much of an appetite or they're feeling a bit sick to their stomach. And that just plays into that supporting your blood sugars and then also to avoid feeling overly full, which can also exacerbate those feelings of nausea.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like that middle spot. If your stomach's empty, that can actually make it worse. But if your stomach's too full, that can make it worse. So eating regularly helps you like just kind of float in that middle space. Another interesting one would be to separate liquids and solids. And again, that kind of ties into that full stomach feeling to manage nausea. So that might be sipping on fluids um, between meals instead of with your meal.
1: One note to keep in mind, too, is even though, you know, at times outside of pregnancy, you may feel nauseous or sick to your stomach for other reasons, and, you know, you may kind of miss a meal or go a little while without eating, um, during pregnancy, this really isn't an option. And that is because energy needs are higher, baby's needs are high to grow and to develop. And this is really where working with a registered dietitian can be useful because they can come up with strategies for you that are not only going to meet baby's needs, but also help manage these symptoms a little bit so it's more comfortable for you too, while still getting in all the food you do need.
0: The next common symptom is heartburn or sometimes it's called acid reflux. And this is a sensation in the upper part of the digestive tract, including the throat. It's typically caused by an increase in a hormone through pregnancy called progesterone, which causes the relaxation of something called the esophageal sphincter. So in this case, food pushes up against that sphincter and comes back into the throat and it's super uncomfortable and it can be a real hindrance to eating. If it's prevalent throughout the day, but there are some strategies to manage it or ease that symptom. So let's dive into those. Hmm. So the first would be to avoid food and drinks that do make heartburn worse. But again, this is pretty unique person to person. Some women's find tomatoes worsen symptoms, whereas others find it's chocolate. So this one might take a little bit more experimentation and um, finding out those unique preferences. Mm hmm. Yeah, this next tip has come up a few times, but it's eating small, more frequent meals. So the frequency helps us get our energy needs in, but the smaller meals help to ensure we're not putting pressure on that sphincter and triggering the heartburn. So those small meals um, are just enough to move from the stomach to the small intestine and not aggravate the heartburn. Um, But then there's other tips to help that as well, like eating slowly and chewing your food well so it's moving through the digestive tract. Um, It can also be drinking fluids between meals and not with meals so we're not so full and we don't have um, a lot of content in the stomach at one time. It can also be to avoid lying down right after you're eating. And this is really just to let gravity assist in digestion. So if you eat a meal and you lie down, it's more likely, again, to come up and put that pressure on the sphincter. So if we can stay upright for 30 minutes or so after eating, or if you do need to lay down, maybe propping up your shoulders and head with some pillows, again, just to encourage that downward movement of the contents of your stomach. Mm Another one would be to manage fat intake. Um, And that's just because fat slows digestion, which can cause that food to sit a little bit longer in the stomach and put pressure on the sphincter. Um, And that does not mean that we do avoid fat completely because it's a very important nutrient. We need a lot of um, healthy fats in our diet to support a healthy pregnancy and development, but maybe avoiding those higher fat or really greasy meals when it comes to managing that heartburn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just spreading your fat sources throughout the day Mm -hmm. so it's never too much at one time. Another consideration is constipation. So many pregnant women might experience constipation as a symptom in their pregnancy from iron supplementation or just part of the digestion changes that are associated with pregnancy. Um, It's often caused by increased levels of progesterone as well and even just a decrease in gut transit time in the second and third trimesters during their pregnancy. Some strategies to reduce symptoms include increasing your fluid intake, so drinking at least two and a half liters of fluid to help lubricate the digestive tract and assist in bowel movements. Um, some women may need more than two and a half liters if you are more active or you have a very high fiber intake. And while we recommend choosing water as your main source of fluid, this also could include soups or broths, milks, plant-based beverages, sparkling water, and even smoothies as part of your hydration strategy. hmm Yeah. Another tip would be to embrace gentle movement or any type of movement that's safe for you during pregnancy just to stimulate the bowels
1: to move. So, you know, some ideas would be going for a walk or swimming. And then the final one when we're talking about constipation would be talking about fiber content and how much we're eating in a day. Um, So fiber can help gut transit time to relieve constipation. And you can read the blog post for a complete list of high fiber foods to include, such as chia seeds, fruits, beans, lentils, whole grains, and avocado. Um, You know, we've talked about fiber quite a bit in previous podcasts. And fiber is something that is a bit of a Goldilocks situation, too. So, again, um, sometimes a dietitian can help kind of figure out, like, are we having too much? Are we having too little? What's going on there? Um, one question I'll say we do get sometimes is, should I add a fiber supplement um, to help that? What do you guys think? Well, for the
0: most part, I like to focus on whole foods. Mm-hmm. I find they work better for supporting digestion. Plus, we're hitting those key nutrients that we want to obtain. So there might be times where that fiber supplement is helpful. Um, but for the most part, I try to go the food route with clients. Another consideration is fatigue. So changing hormones and honestly, just like growing a human can decrease energy levels. Your body has a lot going on. And while we want to make sure that we're eating enough, sleeping enough, um, and supporting our energy levels that way, sometimes fatigue is just inevitable. There are strategies that we can adopt that echo a lot of the strategies that we've already mentioned. So supporting blood sugar throughout the day with balanced, frequent meals Eating enough total calories and staying hydrated would be some key considerations to help support energy levels throughout the day. Another common concern for women through pregnancy is food aversion. So changing levels of hormones can just change your food cravings or um, change the foods that you enjoy eating. And so some women get strong aversions to certain foods. And for the most part, it's totally fine to just avoid a food that you're not into. Um, The only concern would be if you know, you're avoiding a food and it's uh, making it difficult to um, get the nutrients that you need. So a common one, as we shared earlier, would be protein. So if you have aversions to meat and chicken and fish and, and you're not eating enough protein in a day, then we want to come up with a strategy to meet your protein intake from other sources. So maybe we're including yogurts or beans and lentils. Um, so You know, the bottom line here is avoid something if you don't like it. Your taste buds often will go back to normal after pregnancy. Um, But if you do have concerns, it's really important to meet with a dietitian so we can make sure we're making uh, a strategy for you to attain all the nutrition you need through your pregnancy. There are some other conditions that you'll be screened for through your pregnancy. So gestational diabetes and hypertension. So in these cases, working one-on-one with a dietitian will be very important to manage it
1: pregnancy is a critical time in the life cycle for both mom and baby and we hope that this podcast gave you guys some key recommendations and a good starting point um, as far as what things we want to consider while we're pregnant to have the best and healthiest pregnancy possible. However, the fun doesn't stop there. Um, After a baby is born, nutrition continues to be a high priority with increased energy needs if mom chooses to breastfeed and also the unique needs of an infant who is four to six months old. And then even more when solids are starting to be introduced. And the registered dietitians at Vitality Nutrition are here to support you, whether you are looking to understand and support your menstrual cycle to get pregnant, nourish your body during pregnancy, meet the increased nutrition demands when breastfeeding, or if you require guidance introducing solids to your infant. If you'd like to learn more about this topic, we would invite you to visit our website for an in-depth review and discussion on the blog post that accompanies this podcast, as well as reach out to any one of the Vitality Dietitians if you have any questions or if you would like to set up some support. Thanks for
0: spending your time with us. To further fill your plate, follow us on social media using the links in our show notes or visit us online at vitalitynutrition.ca. And as always, we welcome your ratings and reviews wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay fed, stay moving, and stay well.
1: Produced at Sound Lounge by T-Bone.
0: All right, next up are the omega-3s, specifically DHA. DHA. <laughs> <laughs> I to say the abbreviation cuz the name is long. Okay. <laughs>